With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. <laughs> okay. Um, hi, I'm Les Bubka, and welcome you to uh, Accidental Podcast or something like that. My today guest will be uh, Matt Jardine Sensei, a martial artist, a European champion, is that correct? Um, well, I won a Worlds. Worlds, not- sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and a great author of a um, few books, few, is a few, few, uh, which I enjoy reading and I recommend you to go and do it and read it as well. Uh, Matt, could you just tell us something about you? So Les, nice to be here. I have to say, I love the name of the podcast, by the way. I think it's great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Something like that in the Excel pod. Brilliant. That's one of my favorite names ever. So um, background. So you've got an idea of where I come from. I've been involved in martial arts. What am I now? 48. Been involved in martial arts since I was 21. Was that 27 years or something like that? If my maths are correct. It's almost 28 years. Started off in karate. Um kind of to show what karate we had it was at most of our kata were kyokushin and gojuru mm-hmm. so i was in that and then transitioned to full contact so kyokushin karate for a number of years long time long long time I kind of remember it's like a lifetime ago um and then transitioned eventually so I, I grew up in that school where we weren't encouraged to look elsewhere and mm-hmm. as someone who wants to always look elsewhere, not, not from a disloyalty point of view, but from a learning. I mean, that's how, how we became friends yeah. because I always look elsewhere as, as do you. And so then I realized that actually there was more beyond my club and the opinions that, you know, we know best. So I started looking around and I've done all manner of stuff. Tai Chi for years, I've a uh, brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, competed in pretty much my view is to compete in any style and just, see how you get on and so here we are 28 years later with a whole lot of um, different information but more importantly a a ton of friends from a world which I wouldn't have had if I'd have stayed in one place do you know what I mean sure sure so yeah Yeah, yeah. that's that's my martial arts background Uh, I don't know if you noticed uh, I know that on podcast you won't see it but uh, it just came to my mind because I'm hiding my uh, son's bedroom and you're very keen on uh, and I got the um, rush guard from you about five monkeys. The five monkeys. The monkeys in the background. Okay, uh, we've got five monkeys. One is hiding there, and one is behind the. I like it. The I thought that uh, that kind of uh, gonna go uh, with your boat a bit. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm impressed. Uh, now you move to Oman. Oman. Is it Oman? Oman. Yeah. Um, yep. How do you find that as uh, for writing, martial arts, and all sorts of things? So. Um, so let, where should we go first? Let's talk about uh, the martial arts side first. So well, firstly, I've come here to write a book, as you know. I mean, that, um, my whole school and my whole life is about evolution. What is the next junction for me to try and um, kind of express myself? My, my, my background before martial arts was tennis. That's how I, uh, how I approached the world as a pro tennis player. And then it transitioned into uh, martial arts, into shiatsu therapy. And now here I am at the other side as a, as a, a writer. 
Um, and so we've come to Amman. Sherry's wanted to work here. Her mum lives here. And um, the Middle East is just a, still an interesting adventure for us. Like the Far East, um, the Middle East is a very interesting adventure. So we've, we've come here for a few years. Me to write, I'm working on um, a novel and a new non-fiction title. And, and she's working. And also, because I'm in, uh, from a Brazilian jiu-jitsu point of view, I'm kind of about a year out from my, well, longer now of course because of because uh, mm. of lockdown but I'm a, a brown belt two stripes which essentially you're kind of in your last year before mm. BJJ black belt so I decided when I came here just to focus on just BJJ make that last mm-hmm. push so I've been training here in a mixed martial arts school with a guy who um, Timor who's good he he's a purple belt so he's below me, but he's like you. He's just one of those little skinny guys who you get hot and they're tough, man. You know what I mean? He's, and he's really good. I don't know how he's a purple belt. I think he's just, uh, I think he's, but he's good, man. He's, uh, he's um, kind of, I think Russian background, half Russian, half Amani, not entirely mm-hmm. sure, but he is an absolute beast. And it's quite nice changing stuff up. He's a really, really good guy. And actually being, I mean, I was training kind of five, six nights a week while I was here before lockdown and I think I was I think my game was hitting another level by having a good change of scenery you know yeah yeah yeah. you, you train with different people and brings different yeah. stuff yeah um great you uh, mentioned uh, uh tennis stuff because my next question is about coaching so how yeah. the um martial arts your martial arts teaching was uh, impacted by the tennis coaching uh, for myself I, yeah. I I've changed from uh the traditional karate methodology to uh, sports science from wrestling yes. and I'm just interested how much you think uh, that needs to change in the martial arts traditional martial arts yeah that's a good question and you know what I, you know what I'm like about this I, so here's the thing the majority of people so backing up I as a, I was an okay tennis player I was fine but I was a much better tennis coach and I went through formal tennis coaching, just like you have with um, your personal training, right? You're studying mm-hmm. to do it, um, which took, well, I mean, it takes four, five, six years once you go through the different things. Um, so you learn to teach properly, APMP, et cetera, et cetera, biomechanics. Now, of course, the majority of martial arts instructors, which is fine, but are hobby instructors, very often, most of us come to it by our teacher saying, Matt, Les, can you take the group of green belts and go and help them with, I don't know, you know what I mean? You go in that corner and, and you learn on the move, which is, which is fine, right? But you don't get any formal instruction. So essentially what you're doing is just passing on your teacher's either mistakes or great moves, which, whichever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever's handed down to you with not much awareness. So when I moved into teaching, one of the problems was like, I'm like, I'm not going to teach it like that. Because as a teacher, as a qualified teacher of sports, that is not a very effective way of teaching, right? Now that would cause some friction and I wasn't, I'm I'm not trying to be awkward, but when you have a way that is working better. And so I would find that in my, when I was teaching tennis, I would very often reference it via martial arts. And then Mm -hmm. when I was teaching martial arts, I'd reference it via tennis because students of course if you like writing if you add a contrast black to white white to black you can understand the lesson kind of better often if it's if it's contrasted taken in another context Mm -hmm. so my understanding of biomechanics absolutely changed my martial arts completely which is why i started to look elsewhere in martial arts 
Mm-hmm. Because when I would stand in front of some, something, you know this, Liz, when I've been over to you for wrestling training and stuff like that, yeah? Mm-hmm. You stand in front of someone who's telling you, I know, a, a move, I'm, I'm not a big Bunkai fan, you know that, but uh, a move is this, it's a, it's a strike. And you're like going, there is no way my body is going to strike in that position. There is not a way. I might <laughs> yeah. not know what it's doing, right? I might not yet know that information. And then when you start slotting into other people's methodology, so you get a wrestler gets hold of you mm. and you find yourself like, and you go, oh, of course, that is what that hand, that's what that mm. arm does. And so that's why I sort of went on the hunt to different dojos. It wasn't a disloyalty thing or it's just, I just needed to have information outside my sphere of influence, driven by my understanding of kind of sports mechanics, really. Mm. I have to say, I'm a great fan of seeing how you're teaching uh, on our seminars. I'm a great fan, fan, uh, fan of your um, work and how you teach. And uh, I do uh, whatever I can. I'm stealing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, the, that's what's the great, greatest form of, uh, uh, I can't even remember the phrase. But yeah, no, take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's what I do. I just, I'm a good fifth of uh, methodologies. Whoever I see doing stuff, uh, I try to glue it into mine. But, you know, for me, in the UK, it was a strange thing when I moved in. Because in Poland, at the time when I was there, you had to do a national qualification to teach any sport. Okay, right. And here in UK, it's just like, you know, off you go. You've got the black belt, off you go. Now it's changing Poland to that model. So it's an open, um, uh, how would they call it? Um, Like an open source, so you can do whatever you want. And lots of people doing their own courses, which is fine because it gives different variety and you can choose and pick what's best but then it's kind of uh, too much freedom sometimes so here's the yeah now here's the thing right on that freedom thing is that open source is fine and it's like open writing with with all the stuff that we've got everyone can sing on a stage write on a stage do martial arts on a stage and in one way that's great if the person doing it holds themselves to a new standard right let let's take writing as an example because we're talking martial arts as as you know i'll use another example in traditional publishing an editor ripping through your stuff with a red pen holds you to a standard right mm-hmm. yeah and you just you know as as cr- as crushing as that might be there is someone who is in the job at the highest level keeping you to a standard now, as good as self-publishing is, it, most people won't hold themselves to that standard. They'll let that word go. They'll let that paragraph go. So what you get is a kind of just a plethora of average books. So to put that back into the martial arts, you get the same thing. Unless you've got someone who is, right, I'm going to really, I'm going to go to this school and learn this, and I'm going to get a black belt in judo and a black belt on BJJ, Right. People will just have this open sourcing just leads to a lot of very, very average instruction. And, mm. and it's not just martial arts, right? It's the PT world. It's, it's any world that doesn't have a, an accountable standard. So freedom is both good and, and not good. So yeah. it, it, it's that balancing. And I just think it's down to personal integrity. Or, or is the instructor passionate enough about getting themselves to their top level and some of the stuff i see i mean who am i to judge right you know i'm who am i to judge but some of the stuff i see i think oh, i'm not sure 
they're trying mm. to push themselves to the level they are. You know, it's just, just my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Which brings me to the other question. That flows oh. really nice. I like it. Um, <laughs> ego versus confidence. And I tell you a story. I think I never told you that story. But before mm. I met you, um, I've been very wary of you uh, in a kind of negative way. So my brain was washed by, you know, uh, which group. Um, Matt is not a very nice person. He's overconfident. His ego is um, very, very high. Um, and then the clash with reality, there comes the really nice guy with the gifts and, and stuff. And then um, you've got a kind of internal conflict of, I, have, I heard he's overconfident. I see the person who, yes, is confident, but in the same way is modest. So my question is, where is that um, line of being confident because you know your stuff, you are um, your own person, and then you draw over overconfidence on borderline cockiness. You know, you know what I mean? Or no, I do, man. I, I complete. I completely know what you mean, and it's and it's one of the one of the reasons I left that last association when I asked to do the thirty-man lineup. Um, it absolutely was not about me being. Um, trying to be the biggest it's just in our school at third dan that we'd run out of challenges right mm -hmm. yeah and i wanted a new challenge and in kyokushin which is where our school is derived from the 30 man was the was the next thing 30 50 yeah. 100 so so there was that whole risk is once you step that's, that's where i kind of got the idea once you step your head up above the kind of parapet you're going to get shot at now, for me, ego and confidence are two different beasts. They're not even a fine line. They're not even, they're, one doesn't tip into the other. One is empty. We, um, Sherry's mum's friend, is that right? Yeah, uh, has this great phrase. She's a, she's a wonderful old, I had to work that out in my, <laughs> I had to work that out. Her name's Jackie, right? And she, she has this phrase called the empty kettle, okay, sounds the noisy, noisiest. Mm -hmm. The idea that the people who, there's no substance to ego. It's based on a brashness, which, which has no internal humility or worth because there's nothing behind it. The reason people often are brash, and I was this as a tennis player, because mm -hmm. as a tennis player, you know, you talk about your stuff in Anxious Black Belt. Well, if you'd have written Anxious Tennis Player, it was the same book, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Same thing. And I was brash. I was aggressive. I was brash. I was cocky because I wasn't very good. I mean, mm. you know, I wasn't where I wanted to be. All I wanted to do was win Wimbledon. And there were so many more people better than me. Now, by the time I'd kind of finished that over the next 22 years through martial arts, just through hard training, right? You find, okay, actually that emptiness is filled with something. But to be honest, the biggest place that came from growth-wise was not actually even through martial arts, it was through meditation. Through honestly sitting with myself every day and realizing you're being a muppet. <laughs> or what you're saying is, is full of stuff, it, you know, has some value behind it. That is the difference. And I remember this when on my first pitch for Hardest Path, I wrote something along the lines of, and I, we've spoken about this, We've spoken about this before when you yeah. came over to the flat where we're almost apologetic. You know, this is my book. I hope you like it. So no, there's some good stuff in this book. I've done the hours. 
You know what I mean? I've sat here for 60 hours and I've written this book. To say that with confidence isn't a big-headed thing. It would be if you'd done one hour, right? Yeah. You'd scribbled it down and then you've gone, oh, guys, I've got a five-star book. And it took, fine, that's ego. But when you know you've done the work and you've been on the mat and you've tied your gear and you've sweat blood and tears or whatever it may be, that then you have a right to say, I am this. I've done this. And that's where I think the difference is between um, ego and confidence for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you mentioned meditation, which brings me to another question. Um, what's your thoughts on the religion? As you probably know, me coming from, from Poland, I am by, not by my choice, but uh, by destiny, a Catholic. Mm -hmm. uh, I moved away from it, more I'm looking into religion, more I'm uh, kind of uh, pushed away from, from all the religions. Yeah. Uh, closest to me is maybe Buddhism. Um, but you're a you Buddhist, aren't you? You, you converted? You're... Well, no, no. I t so I made the active choice after the hardest path, of course, which is kind of the iconic Buddhist pilgrimage. And I always describe myself as not anyist. I, I mean, here, we're in a Muslim country, right? There's no more Muslim country than Amman. So I like to look everywhere without being held in one place because I think they, they all share things. And once you, and again, like, like the old karate schools, right? Once you lock into one methodology, I think it's a dangerous place to be. Now, my, my biggest influence, the thing that drives my life is, yes, Buddhism. But would I stand here and say I'm Buddhist? No. Is my life driven by Buddhism? Yes. But I think, again, that, that differentiates are different. I mean, you look at the five pillars from the Islamic faith. I look at that. I, I, I will stand in a church and pray. I look at that. I go on, Christmas, on um, uh, Christmas Eve. I love to go to my parents' church. You know, it's all those sort of things. And again, it's not a case of being disloyal to one. But I just think life is better for unity rather than this. Fra I mean, again, just you and I, classic example, Les. This is how we came together. And, and, and when you started the mental health stuff, it's a load of um, seminars. It's a load of people coming together that I, I think that's the way forward, man. I, I just love that. Mm. Yeah, I, I moved away from the... Uh, did you read ever um, Conversation with God? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm kind I of... All that in my 20s, and I've actually come back to it interesting at 48 to see how what i think about it now and it's still a bloody good book actually yeah yeah i like it as well uh i'm not agreeing with everything which is in there no. but i think the concept is brilliant i i i think that it's that it's spot on at least for me so yeah. you know we're choosing what we want there and uh we keep coming back and doing stuff what we want um, i agree so um yeah uh, good to know uh now you mentioned mental health. What martial arts had a, what impact had on your life and mental so health? I was about it. Sorry, buddy. I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, so of course I have outside, coming straight out of school every single day. I have trained hard, right? From my tennis mm -hmm. days. That's when I, I'm not a naturally gifted athlete. I'm, I work harder to make up for the huge frailties of my day, right? Um, but what I do bring to the table, I will get hold of something and keep going till I make it work. Does it take me a bit longer to make things work? Probably, because I'm not the most, I wasn't the most gifted tennis player. I'm certainly not the most gifted martial artist, but I will keep going till I've worked out how to fight a way to win. So, so my point there is that I've always been in kind of high level training, 
constantly. And I was thinking about this, and, and, and the development that's come is not necessarily exclusive to martial arts, actually. It's the very nature of regular exercise, goal-driven work. Um, and I would say, again, because I chose it via the Buddhist practice, meditation, which isn't necessarily a part of martial arts. Like mm. in my first school, it wasn't a... I don't think they knew the word meditation. I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But my point is, it wasn't there at all. I was constantly waiting. Oh, maybe this grade is when we start the meditation. Oh, no, mm. it's the next grade. Oh, it's the, until I went, oh, no, I'm going to have to go to a Buddhist school and do that myself. Mm. Yeah. So I think a lot of the things that we get from martial arts, you could get from dancing, rugby. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? It depends. What I found, and actually, some arts... I think can be, from what I see, can be detrimental to mental health, right? You go to the wrong place and that is not going to develop you for sure. Brain-wise, maybe. But what I found is, and again, this is down, back down to that mixing with different people, the camaraderie is what is good for mental health. It's a, a, gr a, a group of human beings from different uh, parts of the world or, or different arts in, in um, seminars coming together and saying, let's share some ideas. That is what I think, because I was thinking about this, what makes, what makes it good? And it's the camaraderie between like-minded people. Yeah, definitely. I, I wrote that in my, in my book, in that Anxious Black Belt, that um, you know, any sport of group of people who gives you support without judgment, without being judgmental, is, is great for you. And I yes. think uh, I was listening the other day to the podcast of Jamie Club, and he was saying that you know, in old days, you come back from the battle, and you sit around and you've been talking about your experience. And that was give you that cleansing process of you just spoke with somebody who went through similar stuff and you kind of um, resetted yourself. And I think that's what the, I, I say about martial arts because that's my passion. I'm in, in that kind of surroundings, but any sport and activity can help. But what you say that uh, it's not always good, I think it's due to the teachers. If you've got the wrong teacher, wrong person, everything's going to be really bad for you. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's the, it, and you get the wrong environment. I've been in some environments and I know, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but I know some environments that I tell you, you want to, you want to undermine someone and rip someone's um, soul out, put them in that school. And yeah. I, you know what I mean? That, and and we've, we've all got a hundred examples of those. Right. And, and, and the thing is though, I think now, and this is the beauty of, of mixed martial arts. And I don't say MMA, I say mixed mm. martial arts. You, you know, you know, my view yeah. of the difference the way the world has opened up is better for that because people can walk away from that place that in the 70s, 80s, not 70s, 80s, 90s mm. was closed. You don't have to put up with that now. You don't have to yeah. put up with it. You know what I mean? You can go somewhere else and realize, oh, there is a whole world outside of this sing you know, singular view. And thankfully, that's, you know what you said? That, this is really interesting. You know what you said about coming back after battle? Mm -hmm. Obviously, because I'm writing full time and, you know, when, I, when I'm into something, I try and study it to its depth. So I'm studying a lot about writing theory as well. And there's this brilliant, brilliant book. I can't remember who it's by. I'll send you the link later. Um, called The Science of Storytelling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it talks about the use of stories in tribes. And just as you say, how originally it would have been literally that. We come back from the experience, I know, hunting saber-toothed tigers or whatever mm. we whatever we do and the whole purpose of sharing story is to kind of pass on what you have learned it's, it's literally a, a information 
held on so that the next hunt is better. So as well as de-stressing, it has a much more kind of cognitive effect. Right, what did we learn? Who didn't pull their weight? Who needs to pull their weight? So it's a very, very, so storytelling. And I find this, right, this, this is why I think, I'm, I'm, and you will, you'll see this, you're writing as well, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In, in the end, physical stuff can only get so far. At mm-hmm. some point, the written word or the seen word kind of touches a part of someone so deep that you get real change. Does that make sense? It's yeah. like an evolution. And then, you know, I mean, you look at some of the greatest poetry. I am not a poet at all. But you look at some of the greatest poetry and you read it and you think, I have no idea what that just said, but it's touched me in some way that nothing else could have done. And, yeah. and I think that's about storytelling. And we do it. We do it. Come around. We get around the fire, sharing ideas. It's what we want to do. You said about the, uh, that open up now with the uh, um, social media and everything we can get uh, wide world for us. Um, but there are some drawbacks of it. We'll talk about later about that um, Japanese girl who committed yeah. suicide most probably because of um, being um, bullied all over online. So um, what's your thoughts about that? We talked about it earlier. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. It's really sad. And I, you know, I feel for that. I, my daughter had an eating disorder. So I understand the pressures of uh, peer pressure on anyone, on anyone. Mm but certainly in this instance uh, on young women. But here's the thing. Once, once we choose to grasp the snake, once we choose to put ourselves on a platform, right? Knowingly or not, we have instantly chosen to be shot at. Mm. Now, just to be clear, I am absolutely not condoning anything at all and saying, oh, you get on there, it's your fault. Not saying that. But we need to know that as soon as you go public and public being outside of your front door or in your wife's ear or your husband's ear or whatever, right, you are public. And so what comes with that is the potential to be shot at. And, and I think as, as grown-ups, we need to know that risk. And, if we're sh- and we need to then pass that information on to our kids and say, listen, do what you need to be the superstar, go up there, get a million likes, but you know that people are coming for you, right? Mm. That's the nature of it. And I think if you then arm people with that and you say, these are the risks, then I think it's, it's not such a big surprise. Um, you know, it's, it is a really, really double-edged sword. We see that all the time, man. You know, no matter how much we want to put stuff live, there will always be for 20 people going, oh, thanks, Les. I, I love the way the left arm moved, etc., etc. There'll be that, one dude or one dudette who goes, oh, you have no idea what you go back to Poland. You've got no idea what you're doing. It is just what it is. It's not even worth the fight because it is just what it is. No, I, I think that, uh, of, of course, I, I agree with you, but um, I think that as well, people getting really, really um, brave behind the screens. So there is awesome. no accountability for, for their actions. And as yeah. we know from all the experiments being done, if, if you give people power and there is no... Uh, uh, repercussions to what they do they go nasty that's just our nature i don't think so we're ever gonna get rid of that people that kind of yeah. people um, no, same I mean, but before before internet that only showed up in our cars yeah didn't it you know 
window up by shouting at the big guy who cut me up you know suddenly it turns out and he's eight foot tall and i'm like oh no it's okay off you go you know it's just it is it is what it is it's just it's just humans do that we're brave when we don't have to actually uh, fight the fight and saying that i'm d- doing um speaking of proper bravery right mm-hmm. i interviewed uh fast a guy I absolutely love you would love him actually a guy called craig craig stanton he's a he's a brilliant guy but i interviewed him for this new book i'm doing called the last taboo Anyway, he's a, he's a soldier, ex, ex-soldier. And he was doing his first tour of duty in Afghanistan when he was um, 22. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me some of the stories of even just coming out of the perimeter of your air base, right, and patrolling and just not knowing what's, what's going to get you. Oh, Matt, that's just mind-blowing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really – I mean, I've, I've never been in that sort of danger – I'm assuming you haven't been in, maybe you no, have, maybe you haven't. And so we just, we just can't know that. And so it's really easy for people to fight vicariously. I've always yeah. found school <laughs> and teaching, right? People are like, because you know, I do a load of teaching in schools, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So a lot of the parents go, oh no, we're not going to put them into martial arts because it will make them a bully, right? Mm. If the kids who aren't allowed to do it, who end up the bullies, yeah. usually, in my experience, because... They haven't had a chance to push and pull and test. Once you've been smashed around a few, you're like, you're over it. You've kind of grown out of that. You don't need to test it. And I think that's what happens with the keyboard warriors. They haven't been anywhere where someone's given them a good hiding or vice versa. So they fight through the keyboard. It, that's what I hear. That's what I'm talking about with ego. That's mm. ego. When I'm typing, Les, you've got no idea. Come over here and I'll kick. That's because the guy or the girl, whoever's typing it, has no inherent belief in their own worth from a martial arts point of view. You're not going to get Gavin Mel Holland saying that to you. What does he, he could pick you and me both up with one hand. Yeah. So, <laughs> and Jamie Gray. They could just dang yeah. us like two fish. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jamie will see. I'm going to do my spinning back, jumping spinning back kick into his ankles and he's going to be really <laughs> devastated. <laughs> Yeah, I'll hold him. I'll hold him down, <laughs> and you can, <laughs> like Gulliver's Travels. Yeah, <laughs> they're all. Yeah, yeah. But but that that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly the set. That's where that kind of ego confidence type thing in. I mean, that's it's no more obvious than there, is it? Wow, keyboard warriors, gotta love them. I think that's what is great about martial arts because um, you know my my motto in my school is to. Um, now, the strong and caring people are the pillars of the society, and karate is make um, helps that cultivate them. And I think you know, if you put confidence in people and make them strong, not only physically but the character, and make them caring, caring about other people, um, you've got the recipe for really decent people. So I think that's this, what the this is important, though, Les, and and you need to be given credit for this because, and Gary Chamberlain says that I love Gary. Tough Kyokushin guy. I interviewed him the last week. No guy, right? So, and I'm going to misquote him here. So if he hears this, he'll probably bash me. But it's along the lines of, um, let me think, martial arts doesn't create character. It only reveals what's already there. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So my point is, training doesn't lead to that good character, Les. You're, you, what you choose as the, as the teacher, and I know this from you, that's why we're friends, hmm if you choose to direct your students' um, attention on that. And, and I'd like to think that I do with mine. But it isn't a default of martial arts. This whole martial arts dissolves the ego is the biggest myth 
in martial arts other than martial arts is good for your health. That's the other big myth, mm. right? It's, it's great fun, but there's not good for any joint in your body. Well, none of the activities if you do more, more than twice a week. <laughs> is not good. <laughs> but it, but, but it, you have to, that's why it's up to the teacher to direct where that attention goes because nothing is by default. You don't go, right, I do 12 years in capoeira and i'm suddenly the dalai lama it's just is not true and and and, I, and that's fine but i wish some of those things would come off the poster yeah right? yeah, yeah. I spoke about you know bring bring the health stuff off fine bring the mental development fine is it fun absolutely are you going to meet good absolutely and then whatever else you bring to the table is what you'll develop and then everyone will have a just a much more honest experience mm. I, I take the martial arts as a as a tool so, you know, tool as itself doesn't do any good or any damage. It's, it's the tool operator. Uh, and simply that's what it is. Uh. Completely agree. Absolutely, man. Now, changing the subject, or maybe keeping it in, um, what makes you write? Why do you have the urge to write? And... I just, I, I, this is not really a very good answer, right? It's really, I absolutely love writing. I, I cannot tell you, I love writing as much as I love doing martial arts, even more now, I would say, because I'm in it. I just sit at that desk and I feel kind of so kind of happy and grateful that I get to write for a living. I absolutely love it. I don't know why. I just can't not do it. Does that, mm. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I'm constantly trying to define it. And there's all sorts of books of asking that question of writers. Why do you write? I just bloody love it. Um, mm. I like to... I like to read. I like to, I like to express a message. I like the whole laying down. of I like the puzzle work that when you look at something, you go, that's not right. I don't know what it is. And you sit there on a paragraph and go, where should that go? Or does that go over here? And it just absolutely fills me with delight, which is not a very clear answer, but that's all I've got. I love it. Thanks. <laughs> okay. What, what, uh, tell us something about I'm I'm really really sorry I didn't have time to uh, start the uh, Buddhist billion millionaire yet. No, I can't believe it. No, I'm just but I will do. I will do. It's uh, the kill children and the lockdown is. Uh, no, 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 no. You don't have to read it. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to do it this uh, this service and taking it to a toilet. I'm not the guy who reads books in the toilet. <laughs> no, I think I think, it, I think I think it deserves better better environment. <laughs> um, but if you could tell us about your uh, about the uh, Buddhist millionaire, about Hardest Path, and uh, your future projects. Hi, buddy. So, um, in 2007, I walked the 88 Temple Pilgrimage in Japan. It's their kind of super pilgrimage, a little bit like the Camino in Spain and the Hajj for the um, for, this, for the Islamic faith. Um, it's massive. So, it's 1,400 kilometers around an island, and I chose to do it in 30 days. So hardly any Westerners have done it and no Westerners or hardly anyone walks it anymore. And I partly wanted to, I was testing a couple of things really. Do time and money really exist? Um, mm. And that's why I decided to do something nearly impossible, almost said to be impossible in a short time. So that's what the first book was about. And it was basically the lessons that I learned. The whole idea is a pilgrimage. It's kind of an introspective med walking meditation. And the lessons that I learned became the hardest path. So that's 2007. But then I wanted to see, as I came back, the Buddhists call it coming down from the mountain. So whatever insight you have is no good in a 
kind of fancy cave or in a temple, if you can't bring it home, you know, when, when Max is screaming by your ankles or, mm. or it, it just, it, it's just no use. It's no use being peaceful when you're peaceful. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in the thing that troubles uh, eight out of 10 people, which is money, right? In the changing rooms everywhere, we're always hearing, always, always. If I had more money, I would be a, mm. I know, if I had more time. So I was, so I went on this project to determine, could I take what I'd learned in the hardest path, which were nine kind of, not laws, what are they, steps, I guess, lessons, mm. I don't know. And could I apply them to create a work life that I both love and made money? Because there are kind of two extremes, aren't there? There is either the, the broke creative, you know, the artist, the struggling mm-hmm. artist who loves what they do and they're flourishing their soul and making like no money. And the person who's making loads of money, but, you know, they've never seen their family. So I wondered, can you do both using the laws from the hardest part? And so that's what we call what I call Buddhist millionaireship. And mm-hmm. so I went, I mean, that's also what this project in Azaman is. I'm living as a Buddhist millionaire. And then I interviewed people, various people who I would refer to as Buddhist millionaires. They're doing what they love and making money at it, like making enough to do it, not you know, some, some are actually Buddhist millionaires and some mm. are symbolic Buddhist millionaires. You don't have to be yeah. either a Buddhist or yeah. And then it was just their story, how it worked, the principles behind the idea, and then sharing the ideas so that hopefully then people, if they want to, of course, it's always a choice, can choose to play the game themselves. So that, that was, that's, that's the Buddhist millionaire. And then that's led on to this called um, The Final Taboo, which... Um, it's an interesting project, actually. It's a really interesting, but it took me back to 18, when I was 18, it's when I started learning meditation under Sogya Rinpoche. And he's the author of the Tibetan book of living and dying. Mm-hmm. And I've always been afraid of death, if I'm honest. As a kid, it freaked me out. Freaked me out. I couldn't think about it. And it, mm-hmm. it, I'd have to run around the house trying to escape the fear of death, right? I mean, when I was a young kid. And then years later, looking at Corona, sitting here in Amman, looking how the world has reacted, you know, kind of crazy behavior, you know, like stripping shelves of loo rolls, stuff that is, is just not normal behavior. Because in our lifetime, you and me, we haven't been faced up front with death. Yes, we've had relatives die and friends, but in a sort of roundabout way. But we haven't had that mass death of having to go through a war or a major epidemic, yeah? The closest we got in our lifetime was AIDS, but it was far enough away from us not to be here. But COVID has brought death to our doors and you you can't ignore it, right? Yeah, yeah. So what's happened is you see this knee-jerk reaction, which kind of tells me that underlying, and I've always believed this, underlying every single fear in our life, no matter what the fear, the sponsoring fear is the fear of death, mm-hmm. right? And if you think about that, because if you didn't fear death, there will be nothing else to fear. And the Buddhists believe this as well, that the fear of all fears is the fear of death. So until we resolve that, which by the way is a problem because you can't resolve it, mm-hmm. you can't live fully. So this book is about that how our unkind of uh, charted fear of death actually 
stops us from living to our absolute potential. So that's what we're working on now. That and the novel, of course. That sounds very, very interesting. Yeah, what I'll do, if you want, man, I'll send you, I mean, they're, they're all, it's all under wraps, of course, because it's with my agent, but I'll send you the first three mm. chapters, if you like, because that, that sets the tone, and you'll see, you'll get this, from Anxious Black Belt, you'll, re- mm. you'll understand this completely. And then, and then it, the other thing as well, I, it's, it's been a weird few weeks, I, uh, again, a Facebook friend of a friend, you know, you know how that works, so a friend, I saw a message that basically he's same age as, I mean, you're a bit younger than me, but our, our age group, he's like 48. Post saying his last cancer treatment hasn't worked and he's got five weeks to live. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Whoa. So I sit in here. I, I, you know, I just go, wow. And I, I, I messaged him and said, listen, you, you have been such a powerful man the way you have held it's unbelievable it's unbelievable how you've been Mm. and i'd like to for people to see for this book to see life through your eyes guide us through the last five weeks so he's literally in the last his last five weeks he's guided us through his views of death as he's as he died i mean he died now 10 days ago so we the book is seen through his eyes as well and it's I mean, it's, it's, it's eye-opening. But this isn't a palliative, palliative care book or a morbid mm. book. There's plenty of books like that, much better than this one will be. But this one is a book for the living, where mm. we investigate death now, not in the last throes of our life, but now so that we can live more fully. But you'll get this. We're definitely the author of Anxious Black Belt. You'll get it completely. Oh, I'm looking forward to it then. Okay. Yeah, it dep- depends how you look on, 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 on uh, death. Um, Anna's um, grandmother passed away a few years ago, but she was happy dying. Um, yeah. She always said, you know, I'm going for my new adventure. She was an adventurous person anyway, but she was always saying, you know, I'm looking forward to death because I'm going to go for a new, new big adventure to see what's there. Yeah. So I, that's the, and I think we're doing this service to people, especially in like um, Catholic religions and stuff like that, because you're ingrating in people the fear of death. It's the yes. grim Somebody was saying description. How would you look on a death if it were described as a happy young lady taking you to a better place? Absolutely. From, listing that from childhood, it would be a completely different outcome than a grim skeleton with a big, um, how do you call it, sigh? Yeah, um, exactly. Absolutely right. And you know that death, so as, as I've done a load of research now, of course, that's why I've been kind of so busy on this. As you look into it, the creation of heaven and hell realms were religion created mm, they yeah. were which which as we know are control related if you want yeah. to control a human frighten them i mean that I mean, look yeah. look what's going around it's the it's the ultimate measure of control good or bad you only got two motivations fear non-fear love whatever you want to whatever you refer to that and so you set that up for someone and suddenly it's a real problem so if you but you're right if you looked at it in a different way what if what if, now I'm not talking reincarnation, mm-hmm. right? But what if that wasn't the end? What if, so look at these glasses. By the way, as you see, I've had to start, I've had to start using glasses now. You noticed, can't see a thing. Right. Anyway, if, if our eyes were limited to the dimensions we could see, mm-hmm. but we put on a new pair of spectacles that could see beyond the beyond, you, you, you may find that your whole view of things change. 
Like yeah. one of the things Martin said, he's they they he was checking out his own. He'd been buried in a forest, and he picked his plot of land, and he wrote this beautiful piece. I asked him the questions, and he'd write he'd write the answers, and um, where he just believes he will be kind of not reborn, but kind of like recycled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 if you once you start changing perception, that ease that um, Anna's grandmother, grandmother, you said, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that ease that you have toward the end of your life. Can you imagine that having, enjoying that ease in our lifetime? Like when we're in our 40s, how much freer you'd be? Because I tell you, most of the decisions people make are wrapped up. Most of the grasping, holding, get all the toilet rolls, etc., that we see in the COVID thing, are based inherently when you investigate that in a fear of death. So I want to. I want to. I'm challenging that with this book. Mm, excellent. Uh, my view of of death changed because before we had children, I thought that I'm I'm ready. I can go. Nothing really um, adventurous in that. But since the children been born, I just uh, kind of hung to hang to. Uh, I would like to see how they're going to perform and grow, and I would missing that. But yeah, you know, it's all, we all yeah. evolving, changing, and our views changing all the time. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think we can wrap up. That's all my questions. Or you okay. want to cover something else? Or no, that's good. That's been. Uh, it's always fun chatting to you. I, I just just before we go, I think uh, are you doing some lovely work out there? I like it, and it's um, <laughs> people are enjoying your work, and you're you're putting it. I call it mat time, not mat time, but mat time. You know what I mean? Mm. Most people who come, most people come for black belt, um, wonder why they don't get it, and then you ask them, can you write down how many hours you put on the mat? When they put it together, it's not that much. Same with writing. They want to write. How many hours have you actually set down the desk? Not many. But mm. what I'm seeing with your work, Les, is you're doing the mat time. Yeah, mm. some mistakes sometimes, this happening sometimes, but that's mat time. And um, I'm impressed, man. I, I, I think it's really good, and I think people are really loving your stuff. Thank you. I, I'm just noticing now that uh, one, one uh, Marek, you, you, met, you met Marek? Uh, yeah. Yeah, with moustaches. Not, not the wrestling, the other guy. Oh, oh, not the wrestling. Okay. Uh, yeah, he keeps, he keeps saying that you turned 40, now your body is abandoning you. It's yeah. all start going wrong. <laughs> and I start feeling that I need to put up more work in, into the restoring the natural movements. Uh, we'll be talking about the Edo portal and stuff. You know what? I just, just Sorry, I know you wanted to wrap, just something. So I have trained every day, and I would almost say I'm on the verge of obsessive training mm-hmm. since, since tennis days. Since lockdown and just working on the novel, not the last taboo on Sydney Sea with the African novel, and since lockdown, when I first came around, I've done nothing. And for a moment, I am not missing it at all. It's like mm. it's nice to not have that obsessive, oh, I'm not training four times, five times a week. It's actually kind of nice. Now, I'm sure soon I'll be, I'll be back at it. But I'm actually taking time to enjoy my body doing just sit and write, chill out. Nothing's going away. It's great. I do that actually since we've been in Poland, so since I started. I call the sinusoidal karate, so it goes up and down. Yeah. So you need to have that break. So it, when I was training in Poland, we always had a two-month break to just restore that uh, eagerness yeah. to get back to the training and, and have a more motivation. And your body needs rest as well. Yeah, know? yeah. No, no, I agree. I'm, I'm definitely enjoying that. Bye, right, buddy. Okay. Madradin, thank you for uh, being with us and uh, have a great chat. And I'm going to wrap it now and uh, thank you very much again thanks Les I stopped recording I didn't edit that and then uh, um, I'm gonna if you will receive email yeah
Sports Social Podcast Network.